This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Did it in one. Yeah, welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod, like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, or you can email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you really like what you hear, you can join the Privy Chamber by donating monthly. You get some bonus content, including uh, the Privy Chamber podcast that we do after each of our main episodes. Which is my personal favourite. So, as you've heard, we are doing Ethelfled. Lady of the Mercians. You'll remember last time when we did Elswith, we didn't have an awful lot of biography to go on, so we had to do a bit more of a narrative history. Yeah. This week, it's much more biography. Oh, right. How come? Oh, we're going to just go into that point of this episode, isn't it? (laughs) Biography! So, Ethelfled is born in the year 870, Mm -hmm. roughly, and she is the daughter of Alfred the Great and Elswith. Mm, okay. And she's the eldest of five children. Uh, her name means noble beauty. Ethel Noble fled beauty. Oh, that's nice. Mm. Not a very beautiful name, though. It's apologies to all the Ethel Fleds well, out that, there. That, that's your Norman bias creeping yeah, in. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Sure, for the Saxons, it would have been a lovely name. Mm. Um, and sadly, we don't know what Ethel Fled looked like, and we don't have a heritage playing card image mm-hmm. for Ali to describe. Mm. So we are doing hashtag consort cards. We're asking the listeners to send in their artistic depiction of Ethel Fled and all the other consorts from the episodes, and at the end of the series, we'll be able to pick out our own uh, playing pack. I want that to continue even we do, when we do have <laughs> uh, pictures, because I'm looking forward to Philip's. So, early years for Ethelflaed, and indeed a little bit of backgroundy stuff mm-hmm. for the context in which she is born. Anglo-Saxon England is not yet in existence as a unified kingdom. Instead, we've got a series of smaller kingdoms. Mm. But in the 860s, these start falling to Viking invaders. Those pesky Vikings. So Wessex, which is sort of south and southwest England, becomes the last kingdom to remain fully independent, mm. which is handy for Ethelfled because Dad, Alfred and Mum, Elswith, are the rulers of Wessex. Jolly handy. But things take a turn for the worst in 878. Whilst the family was celebrating Christmas, they were forced to flee the royal court when a Viking raid came along, ambushed them, and they were sent out into the marshy swamps of Athelney. Oh, she was in that escape. Indeed. So she's the oldest of the children. So Alfred, Elswith, and all the children have to mm. rush off oh dear. in the middle of the night in winter to escape the Vikings. So Ethelfed is the eldest, probably mm. is the one that will have the strongest memory oh. of this situation. <laughs> But it would have been um, quite a formative experience for her, going oh, from the majesty of royal court to suddenly having to survive uh, mm. as exiles in the marshes. But thankfully, Alfred does emerge to defeat the Vikings at Ed- Eddington, agreed a peace with them, so the country was split. So half of it was Saxon, mm. and then the other half, which is kind of the east, and then going up to the north, is Viking. And that mm. was known as the Dane Law. Things are much better in England after that. Burrs are these fortified market towns that Alfred builds as defences against Viking raids. He also undertakes an education programme across England. Mm-hmm. 
and Ethelfled was one of the beneficiaries of this education programme. She was given exactly the same education as her brother Edward. Oh, right. Well, I thought he would be much more um, anti-education for girls. Well, that was the interesting thing last week, the fact that Elswith wasn't crowned as a queen. It wasn't necessarily anti-women. It was the specific function and institution of a queen that right. Alfred was opposed to. So actually, in terms of educating his daughters... No worries. But nevertheless, as the eldest daughter, she does still have fairly limited expectations of what she's going to do. Either she's going to go into the church, mm. or she is going to be used as part of a marriage alliance. Mm. And it's the latter course that is chosen for Ethelfled. So in 886, it is arranged that she will marry Ethelred, the Lord of the Mercians. So, Mercia, mm. bit of context there. This is central England. As we said last time, it's essentially the Midlands, but mm-hmm. much bigger. So, in a way, it's middle of England. Yeah, middle Rather England. than just the Midlands. In the 8th century, it had been the dominant kingdom under King Offa. But following a defeat to Wessex in 825, it's seen its power decline. And then in 868, the Vikings had arrived. Mm. And taken a whole lot. Well, so they sort of took about trying to take Mercia at this point. So, that's when we have one of the early alliances between Wessex. That was when Alfred married um, Elswith, who was of noble stock in Mm. Mercia. Um, But unfortunately, in 873-874, Burgred and Ethelswith were exiled to Rome. The alliance ultimately didn't work for Mercia, and the Vikings take the kingdom. Why didn't the alliance... Why did they exile? By Vikings? By the Vikings. Oh, right, if that makes more sense. Um, There was another king that was put in charge, um, Keelwulf, um, so perhaps he rules the west of Mercia, but the Vikings take the east. Mm. But he seems to have died or been killed or disappeared in 879. Right. So it's at this point that emerging from the shadows of history comes Ethelred, future husband of Ethelfled. Right. So he may have had some royal ancestry or perhaps just been a powerful earldoman. But he first appears in 881, leading an attack on the Welsh. Mm. But by 883, the Mercians had suffered quite a bad defeat to Wales, or a Welsh kingdom. And at this point, he seems to have acknowledged Alfred as his overlord. So perhaps with Alfred's support, Ethelred establishes himself as lord of the Mercians, or at least the part of Mercia that the Vikings haven't yet been able to conquer. Right, okay, okay. And he helps Alfred in his campaigning against the Vikings. So in 886... Alfred recaptures the city of London from the Vikings, Mm. encourages people back into the city, has a nice new city layout, and he then entrusts London into the hands of Ethelred of Mercia. Clever. Perhaps because historically it was Mercian, so this is a good Mm. bit of politics, keep him and the Mercians loyal, Mm. but equally it's someone that's effectively under him anyway. Mm. But it's a nice appointment for him. Exactly, and it's possible that it's while he does this, that we also have the marriage between Ethelfled and Ethelred. So it's right. almost like London's part of her dowry, oh. which is quite an impressive dowry to yeah, yeah, bring to the table. Yeah. So what a time in London as well. Oh. It's been recaptured. It's being rebuilt. There's a royal wedding. Wicked. So she's fulfilling a traditional female role in Anglo-Saxon England as what they term a peace weaver. So she's unifying the two kingdoms, ensuring smooth passage of the alliance, making sure that both sides are kind of keeping to each other. And it's probably seen as a means for Alfred to keep his dominance over Mercia if his daughter is now the consort of this kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Now, we don't know exactly what the relationship was like between Ethelfled and Ethelred, but unlike how it's portrayed in The Last Kingdom, it was probably actually quite a large age gap. Ethelfled's about 15, 16 at this time, He's probably quite a bit older, so he would probably have been an adult since at least the early 880s. That puts him at, what, like 40? Unlike Ellsworth last time, mm. where we had in Wessex this tradition against queens. Mm. She's not. She literally isn't a queen, she wasn't crowned, she's not given any influence, she's not included in the sources. Mm. In Mercia, there's a very different tradition, and they have a tradition of strong female queenship. Mm-hmm. As such, her status as Alfred's daughter already elevates her a bit higher than you might have normally had for a woman, and she's a powerful symbol of the alliance, but she's also got an opportunity to have more of a role because the Mercians actually uh, like yeah, 
queens. We talked about this, didn't we? They were all right with it. So she's actually, in a funny way, much more prominent than her mother Mm. by marrying out of Wessex. Mm. That is funny. So as such, it seems like they almost had an element of joint rule. She certainly is uh, witnessing a lot of charters with Ethelred. So it's actually much more of a partnership than we see in Wessex. When Alfred dies in 899, he is succeeded in Wessex by his son, Edward the Elder. So that's Ethelfled's younger brother. Mm-hmm. He actually had to fight his cousin, Ethelwald, for the throne. It's not clear if Mercia assists him in that or not, but they do seem to have had a good relationship. He's been fighting alongside Ethelred for quite a number of years. They defeat a Viking called Heistern mm. in the 890s. So there seems to be a good cooperation between cool. Wessex and Mercia. And indeed, in 910, after a period of peace, we see a battle between the Saxons, which is a combination of Wessex and Mercia, and the Danish Vikings of the north. Well, it is about time. I mean, Mm. how they thought they could ever do it while fighting each other is madness. Yeah, so there was a period of peace initially, but in 909, for some reason, Edward sent joint Wessex and Mercian force to harry Northumbria. Mm. So in 910, the Danes respond and raid Mercia, but they are intercepted by a joint force, again, of Wessex and Mercia, and suffer a major defeat in which three of their kings are killed. The the Vikings do. The Vikings do. So this is the Battle of Tetnal in 910. So it's a major battle because we've lost all of these leaders for the Vikings Mm. in Northumbria Mm. and the Danelaw. So the balance of power has shifted now towards the Saxons, and there's an opportunity for Edward and for Ethelfled to push back. Come on, Saxons. Unfortunately, Mercia suffers a bit of a setback the following year because in 911, Ethelred, husband of Ethelfled, dies. Yeah. Might have received fatal wounds at Tetnal, but there are also some sources suggesting that his health had actually been in serious decline for the best part of a decade. Right. So it may be that actually Ethelfled was largely in charge for oh, much, much of the period anyway. Hence the old um, John Hancock on the charters. Indeed. So when he dies, Edward repossesses London and Oxford, but otherwise doesn't challenge Mercian governance. He generally still leaves it alone. He just takes a couple of the key bits. Isn't that going against the idea of being a unified Anglo-Saxon load of people well you might think well surely edward will just march in take control and it's all england yeah but that's assuming that there isn't somebody acceptable who could rule mercia instead right and there is somebody more acceptable that can rule because in 911 ethelfled is acknowledged as the lady of the mercians in place of her husband ethelfled rules Mercia. Right. So she's not actually a consort now. She's effectively a queen. Yeah, so this is the tricky thing which we'll have to consider in this episode because, you know, we might have expected uh, as a widow that she would retire to her estates or perhaps go into a nunnery, but instead she is acknowledged as the new ruler of Mercia. It's at this point she should start receiving half points. Well, or is it? Because she's not actually the Queen Mother. No. How odd. But equally, she's not actually Queen Regnant. Yeah, even though it's, this is Mercia, they still haven't made her Queen. They haven't made her Queen. That would be quite a provocative thing to do, because that would really be saying Mercia is separate to Wessex. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I can see the politics there, yeah. So in a funny way, she's still kind of the supporting female role to her brother, but mm. she's not doing that by being his wife. She's doing that by ruling an allied territory. Okay, and 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 uh Alfred still dead. Dead. Edward <laughs> still uh so she's like a governor general or something. It's a unique position. Um other than a couple of slightly weird examples, this is really the only time in Anglo-Saxon England that a woman is ruling a kingdom. A boy without a winkle. So this says quite a lot about what a personality and how well respected she is within Mercia. Yeah. That they accept her so willingly, but also the fact that Edward accepts this. He doesn't go storming in saying, no, come on, this is mine now. Mm. Yeah, he seems pretty cool with the whole thing. I mean, I I suppose anything else would have caused 
major upset, wouldn't it? There would have had to have been some sort of moment, be it a battle, or maybe they could come to terms. But as it is, it's better just to continue whilst they've got their common foe. Particularly if her husband had been ill for a number of years, in which case they've probably effectively been playing these roles out anyway, yeah. and it's just been formalised. Mm. So it's not a sudden power grab by Ethelfled, it's just an acknowledgement of the reality that was already present. Yeah. And indeed, they have got work to do. As we said, when we had the Battle of Tetanil, the defeat of those leaders gives an opportunity to really push back into Viking territory. Mm -hmm. And this continues. And in fact, if anything, it continues better once Ethelfled is fully Lady of the Mercians. Yeah, less admin to get through, not double signing everything. Just right now, let's get on. So we see a more coordinated and aggressive approach. So both of them are creating new burrs, these fortified towns, in strategic positions. So initially defensive, but as time goes on, they're increasingly aggressive. So rather than just trying to make sure they're not going to get invaded, they actually start to put burrs on the frontiers almost into Viking territory. So they can make uh, aggressive raids and then come back into their safety. Yeah, but also they're actually establishing forts right Right into those territories. So that's moving the front lines forwards. But it's also protecting each other because if one's acting here, the other one's acting somewhere else... Mm. Very clever system, isn't it? And they have a lot of success. Ethelfled focuses on the west and a little bit of the north, whilst Edward pushes into East Anglia, Essex, and also the East Midlands. Mm-hmm. And Viking armies, in contrast, are divided. They've got multiple leaders, and they aren't able to coordinate their approach. Mm. So having two very able Saxon leaders working together is much more effective than anything the Vikings are able to do in response. Very unviking this... Well, it's not unviking to not really have one unifying That's leader. True, isn't it? Yeah. The problem before was that the Saxons weren't really so effective and coordinated, but building on that system of burrs that Alfred started and now the two of them. Yeah. The Vikings not very good at the admin but very good at war. Mm. Saxons very good at admin, not so good at war, and now they seem to be getting better at war and admin and the mm. other lot aren't keeping pace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interesting. So the Vikings are starting to be squeezed and they are now the ones vulnerable to being attacked Mm. rather than the Saxons. The war is coming to the Vikings. And it comes to a head with a campaign from 917 to 918. They launch simultaneous attacks. Edward in 917 captures Essex, Northampton, Huntingdon and Cambridge. Pretty good. Meanwhile, Ethelfled begins an assault on the five boroughs. So these are the big sort of strongholds in the Midlands. We've got Derby, Leicester, Lincoln, Nottingham and Stamford. Right. And she captures Derby in a brutal attack in 917. When you say she... Well, she would have been... We'll come to it in Battleness, of course, yeah. but she will be giving the orders to the troops. She's there really? telling them what to do, yeah. Goodness. And then the following year, 918, Leicester surrenders without even fighting, presumably because they saw what happened at Derby. Huh. Meanwhile, Edward takes Stamford, another one. This is, uh, this is Viking-esque, just sort of turning up and then saying, oh, forget it. But it's Saxon. Yeah. And then the city of York offers to submit to Ethelfled. Not Edward. Not Edward. So obviously they've seen what she's been doing. They're pretty impressed. They're also facing a threat of some Norse Vikings because these are Danes at the moment in York. So they offer to submit to Ethelfled peacefully. Wow. But before she can accept their surrender, sadly, on the 12th of June, 918, uh, she dies at Tamworth. Ah. Uh, not getting the chance to go and take York for the Saxons. She is cool. Hmm. Her body was taken to be buried with her husband Ethelred at their foundation in Gloucester, which mm. Oswald's minister. The uh, fate of their tombs is unclear, but an ornate tombstone was found in the 1970s from the sort of area that was there, so it could possibly be... What happened to that? Is that... Uh, that's still around. Wow. So we don't know 100% if it's hers, but it's possible mm. that it was hers or theirs or cool. St. Oswald's as well. Now, it was pretty unique position. She's the Lady of the Mercians' acknowledged ruler. Yeah. Something even more incredible happens when she dies because her daughter, Elfwyn, is recognised by the Mercians as the new Lady of the Mercians. Well, this is getting dangerous, though, isn't it? They're starting it's to... the only mother-to-daughter succession in English history. Oh, Rex Factor. And it's one of only two female-to-female successions. Ever? 
ever in English history. The only other one is um, Mary to Elizabeth in the oh, 16th century. Right, I was racking my brain. Yeah, okay, damn. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent Rex fact. Now, you were suggesting this is starting to get a bit awkward in terms of Wessex, Mercia. Yeah, yeah. Edward the Elder thought this was a little bit awkward as well. Mm. So he was um, in Stamford at the time. He'd just taken the town when she died. And he moves very quickly to establish himself as overlord in Mercia. Mm. But later he decides to take rather more decisive action, as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates. The daughter of Ethelred, Lord of the Mercians, was deprived of all power in Mercia and taken into Wessex three weeks before midwinter. Oh, just capture her. Takes her off, probably to a nunnery in Wessex, mm, mm. and he establishes himself as sole ruler. And that works? And that works. He doesn't face too much of rebellion. Henry of Huntingdon said that Edward was regarding more the policy than the justice of the act. <laughs> but nevertheless, Mercia has now been subsumed into Wessex. Okay, so it's done. Anyway, that is the life of Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Let's see how she does when we review her. Battleiness! So, there's quite a lot of battleiness. Goodness me, yes. It's going to do fantastically well. Um, as we said, she becomes the Lady of the Mercians. It's the only clear example of a female Anglo-Saxon ruler. Her accession doesn't seem to have been challenged or questioned. And it's a huge contrast with what we saw last week with Elswith. Mm, absolutely. The uh, medieval chronicler Henry of Huntington said, um, well, he didn't say, he found the situation so confusing when he was telling the story that he just assumed that she must be Ethelred's daughter rather than <laughs> There wife. must be some mistake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So it does indicate force of personality, talent, and just reputation that Ethelfled has obviously built whilst in Mercia. It's pretty good for any medieval king, what she does. Yes, and I've not actually put in all the details, so we've got plenty of stuff here in Battleiness. Okay. First up, Chester. Yeah. So we've mentioned the Norse Vikings. So mm. 902, they were expelled from Dublin, mm -hmm. and they sought uh, settlements in England and Scotland and Wales. So there's one chap, Ingermund, um, he tried to get himself into Anglesey, but was forced out. So he then lands near Chester and seeks an audience with Ethelfled, asking if he can have a bit of land. <laughs> That's bold, isn't it? <laughs> Just give us a bit of land. Well, so initially she does grant him some territory on the Wirral Peninsula between the Dee and the Mersey near Chester. So perhaps she was thinking, well, if we got some Vikings here settled, might discourage other raiding parties. Right, as a little buffer yeah. that she can mop up later. Indeed, but unfortunately, Hingermund realised that Chester was quite a lovely place to be. Yeah. So he hatches a plan to capture the city. Oh. Thankfully, Ethelfled finds out, and so garrisons it in preparation. And this is an account of the uh, three fragments, uh, so an Irish annal. The Norsemen were under the hurdles, piercing the walls. What the Saxon and the Irishmen who were among them did was to throw large rocks so that they destroyed the hurdles over them. What they did in the face of this was to place large posts under the hurdles. What the Saxons did was to put all the ale and water of the town in the cauldrons of the town to boil them and pour them over those who were under the hurdles so that the skins were stripped from them. Ooh. The answer which the Norsemen gave to this was to spread hides on the hurdles. What the Saxons did was to let loose on the attacking force all the beehives of the town, so that they could not move their legs or hands from the great number of bees stinging. Afterwards, they left the city and abandoned it. Wow, bees as a weapon is brilliant. Bees! Fantastic! Why don't we see that more? Well, it's dubious whether we actually did. Because oh. this particular Irish source has a bit of a tendency towards colourful, sort of saga-style yeah. narrative um so the specifics <laughs> of the beads and that kind of thing perhaps is not so likely but the broad sweep of events is very plausible they attacked and then went away yeah so the mercian register states that ethelfled restored the city in 907 and also significant is the fact that it's ethelfled doing this again the three fragments said that hingermund and his forces came to ethelfreda queen of the saxons for her husband was at that time in a disease <laughs> They have such a beautiful turn of phrase. Um, like in a malaise, I suppose. Yeah. Um, did you say beads? <laughs> bees. <laughs> oh. But the significance of this is that it's suggesting, A, that Ethelfed is you know in charge of yeah. all of this, but also that she's in charge that early on, mm. the early 900s. 
Yeah. The husband's ill. Because her husband's in the disease. Yes. <laughs> so then in 910, on the 5th of August, we have the Battle of Tetnal. Mm. So as I said, this is where we've got the Danish Vikings of the Dane law, mm. who were initially the main threat to the Saxons. So we had had a peace agreed, but in 909, for some reason, Edward sends an army to harry them. Right. So, as Vikings will do, <laughs> they retaliate. Yeah. It seems very silly. That is stirring the bees' nest. Indeed, yeah. So the Danes raid Mercia in 910, go all the way down to Bristol, then up the Severn, crossing over at Bridge North, uh, and then they're sort of crossing into the Midlands and aiming for home. I'm with the Danes here. Yeah, it's what you do, isn't it? Yeah. And they thought they were safe to do it because Edward was busy at this time fighting in Kent. Mm. But Edward gets word of this and he sends an army from Wessex that link up with the Mercians to intercept the Danes. Right. So they fight a battle, um, likely near Tetnall uh, or Wensfield or Wodensfield as it would have been, which is near modern-day Wolverhampton. Mm. Or indeed modern-day Tetnall and Wensfield. But <laughs> It almost certainly would have been a pretty heavy battle because it's a devastating defeat for the Vikings. As we said, three kings leaders are killed as well as many other jarls so all the really sort of important leaders in the viking forces from northumbria are taken out in this battle it's a great victory yeah and it's an important one because i said it leaves a power vacuum in the north that Mm. allows the saxons ultimately to make a lot of progress unfortunately it also allows the norse vikings to come into yeah i keep forgetting that they're two different things here Mm. now in terms of the leadership edward obviously commands the troops from afar but he would not have been there in person because he's got other stuff to be getting on with mm-hmm. so if ethelred was ill it could well have been ethelfled commanding the mercian troops she almost certainly would have been present in some way wow. at the battle wow mm-hmm. we do, so we don't know this we don't know this because we don't have any really detailed account of the battle but she's a very symbolic representation of the wessex mercia alliance mm. so it's likely that she might have, but even if Ethelred was leading the troops, Ethelred probably might still have accompanied him. Because, because he was diseased. And he was diseased, but also that she's a useful rallying point for yeah. both. And forces. interesting then that they, they, the Danish do uh, want to surrender to her specifically. Perhaps because they've got respect for her because they've seen her. Yeah. Mm, I like mm. it, Graham. Now, after this, we see a lot of burrs being built, those fortified towns. Particularly from 911, it's a very coordinated approach, um, defending against Viking threats, but also a springboard to try and conquer the Dane law. So, as I said, 907, we've got Chester, which is protecting against the Norse Vikings in the will. Mm. 910, somewhere called Bremenburg, which historians haven't been able to identify mm. modern day England. Not like Brunenburg. Well, possibly, but again, we don't know where that is, so oh. <laughs> similar problem. Uh, in 912, another one that we don't know, Skurgiat. Yeah, no, I haven't got one for that. But also Bridge North. Oh, yeah. Which uh, possibly under the ruins of the Norman Castle that's there today up on the hill, but that's mm. to protect the River Severn because the Vikings obviously have been crossing mm. that in the past. 913, we have Tamworth, yeah, which is protecting uh, against the Leicester Danes. By tradition, this is on the Castle Mound, but it's probably somewhere else. And also Stafford to prevent, uh, protect the Trent Valley. How big are these things? They like towns. Then? Well, it's one of those where there's probably some kind of settlement there already, and yeah. then they're they'll put up an earthwork. Some of them might just be outposts, like Bridge North might be more of a military outpost, mm. kind of to protect. Others are proper towns that they're yeah building up. Cool. So this is over a period of two years, did you say, or from nine ten nine eleven? Well, yeah, so 910 we got Bremenburg, 912 we got Skirgit and Bridge North, 913 we got Tamworth and uh, Stafford, 914 she repairs pre Roman camp on Edisbury Hill, which can intercept raiders coming down from Northumbria or landing in the Mersey. Uh, Warwick, Ooh. near the major Roman road, the Foss Way, which provided a route from Danish northeast Mercia and Leicester down to Wessex. Mm. Um, that's probably on the site of the castle, but not confusingly a mound which today is called Ethelfled's Mound. Oh, the lumpy bit at the back? Yeah. Is that called Ethelfled's Mound? It's called Ethelfled's Mound, but it's probably not Ethelfled's Mound. <laughs> oh, right, because the castle is on that sheer mm. bit of, sort of cliff. But that it's probably somewhere on that site that she would have originally built a burr. Or and a why do we know it's not on her mound? Because that's, I think that's it was more built modern. Norman yeah. period, yeah. Oh, just named after her. Mm. That's cool. Uh, then the following year, 915, um, Weird Burr, which again is the one they don't know. Yeah. Maybe that was a strange one. <laughs> uh, Runcorn, mm-hmm. which is on the Mersey. 
and uh, Cherbury, which is tributary of the Severn. So, right. So, oh yes, that's that's what I was going to say. What's happening with the Welsh at this time then? Well, so the Cherbury one might also be a bit of a thing with the Welsh because, as you'll see, the Welsh and Mercians have got a bit of Beef. previous, mm. and it becomes present in nine one six. We got long-standing conflict between them. So offers Dyke, mm. which is this sort of boundary between basically Mercia and the Welsh kingdoms, may actually be in a defensive line rather than just a basic demarcation of power or a show Mm. of power because actually there were obviously lots of raids Mm -hmm. either sides and he just thought, well, let's (laughs) put an end to this. Put a wall up. Yeah. Well, instead he went down rather than up. Oh, yeah, he did too. But in 916, one of Ethelthed's abbots, a chap called Eckbert, and some of his companions are killed in a Welsh raid into Mercia. Uh-oh. The mm. Welsh are getting attacked by Vikings as well, though. So Yeah, but they've also been attacking by, with the yeah. Mercians. So three days later, Ethelthed sends an army into Brekaniog, um, all these little Brecon beacons nowadays, oh. that sort of area, besieges the Welsh in a royal crannock on uh, Langorse Lake. So a Cranach is where you've got this built little sort of fort mm. on a lake. So the only way you can get to it is this sort of one... Oh, like a little man-made peninsula thing. Yeah. Uh, the king wasn't there at the time, but his wife and uh, retinue was. So they end up surrendering, and 34 prisoners are taken back to Mercia, including the queen. The Welsh queen? Yeah. As you say, it's not the whole of Wales, it's a, a Welsh kingdom. Mm. They've also got a series of kingdoms, but nevertheless... Good work. Showing them who's boss. Mm. When she died, various Welsh kings submitted to Edward. So Hywel Adar from the southwest, Clidoc Ap Caddle from the northeast, and Idwal Ab Anawad from Gwynedd. Mm. So the fact that they are submitting to him after her death perhaps indicates that they had previously submitted to her. Yeah, or they regarded her as such a foe mm. that they wouldn't, you know... They were saw her as an enemy, and they're like, oh, thank God she's gone. That's yeah. <laughs> so then, 917, we mm. have that concerted campaign by mm. Edward and Ethelfled to really start taking the Viking lands back. That wasn't the concerted campaign? Uh, well, it's I suppose it's the foundations. That allows them to do it. So, Derby was her first port of call. It was settled by the Danes in 877 and wasn't really threatened by the Saxons at all until she had the fort at Tamworth in 913. Mm. And the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, with God's help before Lamas, obtained the borough that is called Derby with all that belonged to it. There also were killed four of her thanes who were dear to her inside the gates. Okay, so right street fighting then. Yeah, so presumably very, very hard fighting. She's lost four of her senior commanders. Mm. Been with her over the years, but nevertheless, she has captured. Got it. And this is the first of the five boroughs that falls to the English. It's really, really good stuff. There's um, a Welsh history of Cambria, which claimed that a Welsh king, Huguenus, joined the Danes and went off to Derby, and that Ethelfled followed him. So that it was him that killed the Thanes. But then when he realised that he was um, overwhelmed by the Mercians, he chose to, ta- chose to take his own life rather than surrender to a woman. Uh, bit dubious. Yeah. But again, it's interesting that they're linking yeah. in. And then the next year, 918, Leicester, which is another one of the more formidable burrs, um, presumably she arrives in force, might have harried the surrounding lands, but having seen what happened at Derby, they chose to surrender immediately without yeah. even putting up a fight. Good call. So she's got the Welsh, she's got all these burrs. What's Edward doing at this time then? He's going up the east side. So he's been capturing Essex, Huntingdon, East Anglia, all that sort of Mm. stuff. And he also moves up. So he takes Stamford, which is another one of the five boroughs. Okay, so it's not that she's getting massive amount of success and overshadowing his. They're both moving up. Both doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Now there's also a suggestion by an Irish source that she um, makes some more progress, this time Scotland. What? Ethelreda, through her own wisdom, made a treaty with the men of Alpa and the Britons that whenever the same race should come to attack her, they would rise up to assist her, and that, should they come to them, she would assist them. So she's not conquering Wales, but she's making an alliance with... Constantine the Second of Scotland and Owen of Cumbria of effectively mutual protection mm. because the Norse Vikings are not just attacking her, not just looking at Northumbria, they've also been going into Scotland and yeah. into 
Cumbria. It's like Article 4 or whatever it is in NATO. If one's attacked, then mm. the rest go. So, so if Ethelfled saying... successes against the Vikings up in Derby and stuff, yeah. perhaps word has got around and then some kind of accommodation is reached. So they're saying if the Vikings attack Scotland, she'll help. Yeah. If the Vikings attack her, Scots will help. Yeah. Which was Constantine the second? Uh, he came second in Rex Factor. Series Him. two. Yes, of course. Yeah. That chappy. Mm. Son of hashtag remember Ayeth. Him, yes. Mm. Remember Ayeth. Strangely, I remember more <laughs> about Ayeth than I do about the person who came second. <laughs> uh, so, according to the three fragments, the Irish annals, she got involved in the Battle of Corbridge in 918. Great parties of Saxons followed in pursuit after brutal victory of them, and they encompassed the wood round about. The queen ordered them to cut all the wood down with their swords and axes, and they did so accordingly. They first cut down the wood, and afterwards killed all the pagans who were in this wood. In this manner did the queen kill all the pagans, so that her fame spread abroad in every direction. I can think of other ways of doing it. Yes, and again, this alliance is not mentioned in any other sources. Mm. And the Irish annals do have a bit of a tendency to invent idealised Christian alliances against the pagans. Yeah, I don't like pagans. And as we know, she was pretty busy in 918, what with, you know, Derby and Leicester and... Also, if you were in the wood that was being cut down, <laughs> leave. Yeah. Or if you're trying to get the people in, in the wood, it's better ways of doing it than chopping down the wood, which All would take All the trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm, dubious. So probably she's not at Corbridge. Mm. Maybe she sent some troops, but again, it's quite far out of her way when she's got a lot to be doing. However... It is a common enemy. She is a major power in the area, so it's not impossible that they do have some kind of accord. Yeah, I it's just don't reckon it was anything like that. Unlikely she actually did it. But it does also lend another sort of explanation for why those in the city of York chose to yeah. submit to her. Because if the Scots and the Cumbrians have thrown their lot in with Ethelfled, maybe those who are in York are also worried about uh, the Danes, uh, the Norse Vikings, mm. think, well... Turns out this Ethelfled woman is the one to help us out. If we don't want to be attacked by the Norse Vikings, better... And these are Danes we're talking about here. These are Danes. Wow. I mean, it's a, it's a melting pot in York. So there'll be Danes. There'll be some Saxons, but Saxons that will have grown up always under... Yeah, Danelaw. Danelaw. Wow. Um, but yes, this is the capital city of Northumbria. Hugely prosperous trading centre, but leaderless, really, since Tetnal in 910. Hmm. So they'd be worried about what the Norse Vikings would come along and do. So they offer their submission to Ethelfled. And this would have meant the peaceful capture of basically the north. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's, it's That's like London, isn't it? This is as important yeah. as London. Lovely. Now, against her, mm -hmm. obviously with York, she dies before she can receive the city's submission. Yeah, but you know what I'm thinking there? Mm. It's just like uh, Edward and Scotland. He puts in the work. He does. I mean... Does he get the, uh, the outcome he wants? <laughs> I... Um, I I don't think that's against her, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I have this problem, though, with Rex Factor, generally, um, <laughs> where people dying at key moments... Why do people have to die? Yeah. Like, like, oh, the whole Black Prince thing, obviously, but mm. um, they'd done all the work. Yeah. It's like they'd passed the exam <laughs> or, or written an excellent paper but hadn't handed it in. Just sign your name here. And... Yeah. Yeah. So all of it is done... But anyone can swan in at the butt bit and they'd get the praise for it. Yeah. You know, but if they didn't do the work beforehand. It's a bit like Messi, Lionel Messi. Lots yeah. of people saying he's the greatest footballer of all time, but he's never won the World Cup. And lots oh, of people yeah. saying, oh, but he's still the best. Yeah, like, yeah. He hasn't won the World Cup, though, has he? He <laughs> yeah. keeps not doing it. Yeah, he keeps not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, so what are you thinking? Battliness, Ethelfred, Lady the Mercians. Massive. I can't think of... Uh, more battly consort. I mean, we're, you're going to reveal some, but well, I don't, I don't know if I am more than uh, more than this. This is pretty. I can't think of someone who wasn't an actual reigning monarch, and was you know, and was meant to be just a sidekick mm. who had no real power. I mean, I think even actually, if you forget the idea of her as a consort and just imagine that this is Ethelfled, king of the Mercians. Yeah, that's why my brain you wouldn't be any less impressed. Went, yeah, went to Elizabeth because I'm thinking of her as an impressive uh, royal. Mm. Um, I'm I'm happy to give 
almost a perfect score, <laughs> but I'm going. I'm, I'm worried that that will come back to bite me. So I'm going to take a point away for the, from the whole York thing, even mm. though I argued against it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I can't see anything. I can't see a reason to go lower. Mm. No, I was thinking the same, really. It's just a succession of actual brilliant military achievements. But I think that what you're missing, really, is that one massive standout to yeah. get you to the 10. And, you know, Tetanil is an important one, but we don't 100% know exactly what the yeah. leadership situation was. If she had received the submission of York and actually taken control... It might have been renamed. That's the <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. by then. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a 9. A 9, Because yeah. York would have been the 10. Yeah, because there's no Agincourt yeah. or something. It's like she'd... she'd died at the Battle of Agincourt yeah. and didn't see the victory or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nine, nine, nine. But still, that is an 18 for battliness. Scandal. Unfortunately here, I don't really have any evidence of anything at all. You've got to have a balance on Rex Factor, you really do. I mean, you know, I guess she took the throne after her husband died, you know, did she murder him? Unlikely. No one suggested it. Hmm. It's unfortunately the opposite, really, because according to William of Malmesbury... Oh, God. A woman of an enlarged soul who, from the difficulty experienced in her first labour, even after refused the embraces of her husband, protesting that it was unbecoming the daughter of a king to give way to a delight which, after a time, produced such painful consequences. (laughs) So he's saying... That she would refuse sex after giving birth. Yeah. Because she now realised what it entailed. Yes, it was the you're never coming near me again (laughs) thing. That's no good. No. In terms of whether it's true, it would be pretty unique for a 9th century woman there telling the husband they're not having any more children. Yeah, Quite an interesting power dynamic. Yeah. But I I don't doubt it, though, having seen what she's like. On the other hand, it's the only account we have of this situation. Um, Some historians are critical of the fact that we see this hardy military leader being unable to bear the birth of... uh, unable to bear the pain of childbirth. Yeah. Yeah, but still... I mean, I can't... It's scraping the barrel, isn't it? It's zero. It's not scandalous, though. This is the opposite of scandal. It's It's a zero. Subjectivity. Well, we've got something rather better here. Okay. As we've been mentioned, she's been building these burrs. Mm-hmm. Market towns, fortified towns, but they have the benefit of also being cultural centres. Yeah. Um, one of them is Worcester. Mm-hmm. And this is early on, so this is with Ethelred. Uh, they fortified the town for the worship of God and the protection of all the people. So in 904, Bishop Werferth sort of encouraged them to come along and fortify it. And in return, he granted them a half share of the lordship rights for the church's lands and rents. And it's a wealthy trading centre, so it's quite a biggie. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as psalms and masses for their souls to be held every day in perpetuity. Mm. So Worcester becomes this lovely, prosperous city under their protection. Uh, Gloucester is refortified in about 900 and became sort of a royal capital with Ethelred. And after the 909 raid into Northumbria that mm. Edward had ordered, uh, they came back with the bones of St. Oswald. That's lucky, isn't it? Now, he was a martyred Northumbrian king, but um, martyred by pagans. Yeah. Ironically, Mercian pagans, but nevertheless <laughs> pagans. Um, but so, they bring St. Oswald to Mercia and dedicate the new minster that they had built to him. So, their tombs are probably next to St. Oswald. That's a way of, sort of saying sorry. <laughs> yeah. But it's seen, a relics are seen as a way of enhancing the... Mm. Prestige. And Dean, she seems to have been a little bit of a collector. St. Werber was brought from Hanbury to Chester, Elmond from Derby to Shrewsbury, so. She's just shuffling the deck. She is indeed. Uh, Chester, 907, she restored into a royal burr, um, utilised those, as you said, the Roman walls, but also she found some mint. Yeah. So we've got some coins going on. And uh, chap Simon Ward excavated the city um, and the Anglo Saxon bits and believed that the later prosperity of Chester may largely have been due to some of her effective town planning. Mmm. And she leaves a really impressive um, legacy for her people. In Mercia, after decades of struggles and Viking raiding, she's expanding their territory and influence, reclaiming lost glories, building new prosperous centres. She got lots of charters showing generous donations being made to monastic communities. And, you know, it's it's actually a pretty good period for Mercia after a long spell of difficulty. 
But there is the question of the fact that this is Mercia. But she does also help with a legacy for England. It's unthinkable that Edward the Elder could have recaptured all of that territory on the east coming up without Ethelfled doing all the stuff that she was doing mm. in Mercia. So it's the two of them together with those birds protecting each other and they're you know, splitting mm. the Viking forces um, that really enables this successful period for the Saxons. So really she needs to be counted as one of the founding figures of the English nation. Yeah, completely. I mean, we're always talking about Alfred and Athelstan. This um, character... Yeah. Uh, Ethelfled. Ethelfled really needs to be up there in, when those two are mentioned. It seems massively unfair that she's not. Yeah, because last time you forgot that Edward the Elder existed. Yeah. I can't believe that actually I had forgotten about him now, given that I thought it actually did go Alfred, Athelstan. They should definitely be remembered up there together. I mean, and it is something like co-rule. Hmm. Just in different places. Yeah. And also, Edward's eldest son, Athelstan, as a young boy, is fostered at the Mercian court with Ethelfled. Oh, cool. So she, effectively, is the one that brings Athelstan up. You know, he might have been at Tetnal with her and all sorts of things like yeah. that. So, in a way, his vision of England, his success, his military training, doesn't come from Edward. It comes from Ethelfled. So the man who actually does finally finish the vision and create England mm. has really been brought up by her. That's the final uh, nail... Unnail the coffin. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool, isn't it? Mm. That um, I had completely forgotten Edward. I won't forget her. Mm. Though I have forgotten her name. Ethelfled. Ethelfled. I suppose in a way, there's not loads of cultural stuff going on. It is mainly military. Although well, we've got some nice shuffling towns the bones and around, and shuffling some nice bones. Chester. Yeah. Uh, it's all right. Mm. I just feel like she. Is probably actually going to have quite a low subjectivity score because uh, compared to other consorts, because she was too busy actually being a queen mm. and doing the stuff that we were would have given kings the points for. Yeah, but still managed to do some bone shuffling. So mm. I don't want to give her anything less than five. Do you want to give her anything more than five? No. <laughs> A straight five, because I, I think uh, it's good what she did during a very, very tricky time. She pretty much only had a, a sort of watchful eye on the, mm. on that factor for Rex Factor. <laughs> but nevertheless, kept the score up. Pretty good. Mm. I'm, I'm inclined to go over the five, just because I think it's better than average or mediocre in terms of you know the benefits and stuff going on but equally it can't be too high just because there isn't really enough in terms of i guess sort of artwork or literature or mm. things that she's commissioning as i said it is mainly military mm. but it's stability and it's nice towns and it's you know all sorts of improvements. oh i didn't think about the birds there actually mm. well I'll, if i stick to five i'll let you balance it out <laughs> i'll balance out i'm gonna go up to a six okay a bit higher so that's an 11 for subjectivity longevity I've sort of identified three potential options. Right. The time of her marriage, yeah. 886, to the time of her death, 918, which is 32 years, which would be a score of 16 out of 20. Good. Joint tenth. Or marriage to Ethelred's death, 886 to 911, which is still 25 years and 15 out of 20. Mm. Or... Her period as Lady of the Mercians, which is 911 to 918, which is seven years, six and a half. So the Lady of the Mercians is the bit where she's, you know, really the main subject doing the stuff. Mm. The marriage to Ethelred's death is the period where she is the consort, mm. which is in theory, you know, what we're doing here. Yeah. And, and the marriage, two of those together is the... And the two of them together, marriage till her death, because... She's consorting, but then she's still kind of continuing, just the husband's dead. I, as much as I, I mean, I really like her. Hmm. So I think I would like to use this incredible <laughs> power I have in this room now and for people <laughs> listening. Uh, I'd like to boost her potential score by going for the biggest one. It would seem very artificial to give her half points after um, Edward dies. 
when Ethelred that, dies. Ethelred dies. Yeah. Particularly we, because she's not, at that point, queen mother to Elfwyn, her yeah. daughter. She is just doing it. And it's at, that's when it gets really good. And that's when she actually does all the... Um, and it will come to, I guess, the point when we get to the Rex factor as to whether we say yes or no, she has the Rex factor as one of these consorts in this series, mm-hmm. or in a way she's almost like a special diversion that is connected but not necessarily part of the consort canon. Yeah. Like when we get to the end of series... Is it, is it fair, fair that yeah. she's potentially, if she gets the Rex Factor, competing against the others who weren't Who were just rulers. trying to do anything other than weaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that really, I guess, comes into the longevity question. Are we crediting her for those seven years after her husband died, or strictly speaking? I mean, obviously we are for the battling of scandal, etc. But for longevity, which bit... What I'm struggling with is that she clearly is someone forgotten by history, and this Mm. is the whole point of Rex Factor, blah, 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 um, and needs massive recognition. Mm. But you are right. She does feel like she sits somehow apart from it, from this series. Mm. Um, And that then just plays into the hands of her being forgotten again. But uh, but either way, it feels like it's been artificially manufactured by us. Mm. I'll put you in such a... You put me in a quandary. I'm going to go with my gut. I think she'll get massive points. What do you think? Um, I I think in terms of scoring, yes, because realistically we're looking at that whole period. Yeah. We're not stopping at 911. And she isn't Queen Mother. Yeah. But it's part of the story. So I think at this point, give her that score. So in which case, that will be the full 886 to 918, 32 years, 16 out of 20. Dynasty, not the programme. Well, this one is easy. Mm. She has one surviving child. And she dies. Never, ever, <laughs> ever again. And there another. So Elfwyn is her one surviving child. And in this series, one child gives you a score of seven and a half out of 20. Which, when we put it all together, gives her a very impressive 52. Ah, what did um, Elswith well, get? Well, Elswith actually got 40.5, but that was yeah. really because she got both the longevity and dynasty pretty well. She didn't get many points uh, other than that. Yeah, okay. But it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! It is such a clear, big, fat yes. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that's amazing about her. We said, you know... the female ruler, these major victories against the Vikings, creating England, Athelstan. It's huge. She should be up there with Alfred the Great and Athelstan. Think of that. There's no no possible way she doesn't have that certain something. She's one of the most, certainly in Anglo-Saxon England, I say in any period of English history, she's one of the most remarkable figures, really. But also, one of the most remarkable... Uh, or rather um, important figures in the formation of the whole area that we're studying here yeah. of England. It's and it's interesting, even contemporaries say the, um, we've been mentioning the Welsh and the Irish annals, but the annals of Ulster described her as the most famous queen of the Saxons, and the Welsh annals said that Queen Ethelfed died. So they looked at her and just thought, well, she's a queen. Oh, yeah, Queen Ethelfed. And they didn't bother to mention Alfred or Edward, these annals, so they obviously thought that she was more important, perhaps because she actually had direct links to yeah. them. But nevertheless, the big question, of course, which we've been struggling with is, is she a proper consort in our narrative? Does she count in this series? Now, the, the way of including her, England, technically speaking, doesn't start with Alfred or Edward. No. The first real king of England is Athelstan. Mm -hmm. So you could argue, having done Edward and Alfred, who were kings of Wessex, kings of the Anglo-Saxons, but not fully England, Mm. Mercia is a part of what becomes England, Mm. and she is a consort of of England, and she is part of that journey towards creating England. Yeah, she's as legitimate as Alfred or any of those others. So she is a consort of an English kingdom that oh I'm fine with in. that I just feel like the I think the only confusion is that she's so blooming successful it's like she's not a consort yeah 
I'm I'm totally I I think it's great that she's in it. I mean, she'd have made an incredible special episode mm. if we were, were took a different view, but I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, I think certainly at this point it'll be interesting to see what people think and whether she should count or whether she's an interesting side piece, but I I think she's a worthy part of this particular absolutely narrative that we're doing. So Oh, hang on. And also brought up Athelstan, who, if you don't agree with us, <laughs> is definitely the start of Eng- England. England. So, yeah, massive. So, for me, I'm going to say yes. Brilliant. And you? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. In which case, she has the Rex Factor. Really? First one of the series. First one. Well done, Ethel Third Lady of the Mercians. You are the first... To be standing on what will it be this time? Uh, Another mountain. Mountain of. Uh, well, we'll work on that. Yeah. <laughs> Correspondence corner. So, if you want to let us know what you think, if you think Ethel Fled deserves the extra and indeed deserves to be included in this series, then you can get in touch with us. Twitter and Instagram, we are mm. at Rex Factor Pod. Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, you can like that and join in those discussions. Email rexfactorpodcast.rml.com, go to rexfactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs that complete the polls, and send in your image for the episode of Ethelfled, hashtag consort cards. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever you use and subscribe. And if you'd like to support us financially, then uh, you can donate monthly. Join oh, that sounds nice. Exactly. Join the Privy Council, you get bonus content um after this we'll be doing privy chamber yeah. bonus podcast everybody gets and then depending on your level of donation you can get special episodes mugs t-shirts all sorts of exciting oh, things yeah. but the privy chamber is worth it alone um and we have many new privy councillors to welcome wicked s jacobs 73 mm-hmm. zachary gavala pfv006 macboy78 anna fetty up 691392 Chris Ward, Carolyn Jeffries, Joe O'Brien, Kirsten Waller, Joanne Foreman, Ali Lou, 72, CJ Hayward, Richard Pisey, JCG Chapman, Will Tiernan, and Ben from Nebraska. Yay! Arise, all of you. There. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, the Privy Chamber will be doing uh, looking a bit more on uh, Elfwyn, Athelstan, and the succession in Mercia, and sort of mm-hmm. notable that Wessex sources don't mention Ethelfled very much, and likewise Mercian ones don't mention Edward very much. So we're going to see how strong that alliance was, or perhaps they might have had slightly different visions of where things were going, but that will be explored later. Also, of course, in the Privy Chamber, we are going to kick back, take our shoes off, I might take my trousers off, (laughs) and just generally chew the cud. Finally, some messages. Mm. Firstly, from some of our Privy Councillors. Khadija. One of my favourite history podcasts. Love the English and Scottish series. Can't wait for the new series to start. Looking forward to an episode on Eleanor of Aquitaine. Me too. Keep up the good work, Ali and Graham. Listening all the way from Stockholm, Sweden. Oh, cool. I'd love to go to Stockholm. Mm. And uh, Juliana Docas. It was finding Rex Factor early in my first year of university that cemented my medieval studies degree for me. Hey, cool. I'm focusing on the Anglo-Saxons and I'm currently looking into grad programmes in England. Oh, good stuff. This episode should be right up her. Uh, uh, Straza. Hmm. And some general correspondence. A couple of people are messaging about the Christmas special that we did. Oh, that was fun. Maya on Twitter. Uh-huh. Um, about your question on um, why we say Xmas. Yeah. Um, now, we'd assume that this is some kind of horrible modern shortening that we can't quite be bothered to yeah. say Christmas. It's actually first used in the mid-1500s. What? So the X is actually the key letter from Greek, ancient Greek, or just Greek. Oh, And Christos. the initial letter is from Christos. So the X, is an, or the key, is an acceptable representation of Christ. And it's called a uh, Christogram. Christogram. That's, um... That's a Rex fact. Uh, well, that is a, that is a big-time Rex fact. Uh, and also, Caitlin. She says, wow, hotmail. <laughs> well I just listened to your Christmas episode and thought I'd add to the pot Bennett Zon has plausibly argued that a deste for dailies otherwise known as O Come All Ye Faithful was originally a Jacobite song 
Its author was a Jacobite, and Jacobite loyalty always had a pretty intense messianic theme going. And of course, being seditious, they relied on code. Mm. So the faithful would obviously be Jacobites. Bethlehem was London, and The King of Angels is a play on King of Angles, or English. Wow! So Charles Edward Stuart was born on December the 20th, or December 31, by the Reformed calendar, and a large star was supposed to have appeared at his birth, so the Christmas theme was appropriate. The song might even have been written in direct anticipation of the 45 Rebellion. Goodness me, that's, but I'm never going to be able to listen to that in the same way. Mm. I, I like it more. Mm. That's cool. Thank you very much for that. So, two excellent Christmas yeah. rex facts there. That is brilliant. In the meantime, I'm going to open this beer. I'm ready for the preview chamber. See you next time. Cheerio! This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.